I'm excited as we look the next six weeks at Redeemed by the Blood. We're going to be looking at man's need for a Savior and Christ's provision. And there are a lot of false gospels out there, and during the next six weeks, we'll be looking at that whole process of how God brings us to Himself. And um, today, I want us to look at, at Romans three. If you go ahead and turn there, Romans three, verses nine through eighteen is where we'll, we'll just be parked there. But before I became a believer, I drank a lot, a lot of alcohol. My last quarter at university I attended, I think I was sober eight or nine nights. That tells you kind of where I was. I was involved in smoking pot. Now, I, there was a group of people that drank a lot more and did a lot more drugs than I. And I would look at those people. I thought I was a pretty good guy. I would look over at Roy Abbott and Dennis Hathcock. And all these guys that had the long hair and the kind of hippie-like uh, look. And I said, man, those people, they're depraved. They're depraved. I graduated from school, went into business with my brother. And I began to realize that life was kind of empty. And I was going nowhere real fast. So I decided, I need to quit, quit drinking and quit smoking pot. So first, my idea was, I quit during the week. Party on weekends. And I did. And I realized that my life was very, very empty. Very empty. So I said, boy, what am I going to do? And I thought, I thought I could quit. I thought I could quit on my own. I deceived myself because I was enslaved to the drugs and to the alcohol. Well, since I couldn't do it on my own, I went to a secular counseling agency, began to share with them the, the burden I carried, not just the, the drinking and the drugs, but primarily the, the guilt that I felt. I talked to him two or three sessions, and then the next session I came in and he kind of put his arm around me like, let me tell you something important here. And he said, Ralph, he says, I used to be a pastor. He says, I think, you know, I think your condition is, it's a lot of false guilt that you got here. It's the way you were raised, you know, with the Bible. And basically he told me, it doesn't matter what God's word says about sex outside of marriage. Just go ahead and do, you're okay. You're okay. You know, even at that point, I knew that I didn't want counseling from that guy. So I left him. Look around, though, our culture is so accepting of that. John 8.34, Jesus Christ says, Everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Sin had control of my life. I tried to change, but there's no way. 
And even though this counselor told me that it's okay. I felt guilty because I was guilty. Romans 3, 23 says, For all will sin and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23 says, For wages of sin is death. You see, guilt drives us in different directions. For me, it drove me toward drugs and alcohol. I probably smoked on weekends two packs of cigarettes a day. Life was empty. Eventually, I did what God wanted me to do. I went to this pastor that I mentioned to you guys uh, last summer, Pastor Young. He was the pastor of this church where I'd go to vacation Bible school. He didn't sugarcoat my sin. He said, Ralph, he said, you're a sinner. And you need a Savior. He says, it's through faith in Jesus Christ that you can be set free from this guilt and that sin that controls your life. And I talked to him about worse because I came out of a church that had that kind of mindset. And he said, Ralph, he says, your, your works are like filthy rocks. And I said, Pastor Young, he went on and began talking to me about the pravity of man. I still learned that this sin, this corruption that was within me, and I realized that, that we are sinners not because we sin. We're sinners, or whether we sin because, because we are sinners. Romans 5.12 it's kind of a good verse that talks about the original sin, the doctrine there. It says, therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men, because all sinned. This told the poverty thing I didn't like too much. I, I, I didn't like that, that I was totally depraved. Now remember, totally Depravity doesn't mean that we're as wicked as we could be. It doesn't mean that we can't do good things before man. What it means is this corruption, this sin that penetrates our lives corrupts the whole person. There's nothing, there's no part of man that's not corrupted. In Romans 3, verses 10 through 18, kind of lays out indictments against us. And we'll look and we'll see how this corruption, this sin, has affected our relationship with God vertically, and how it's affected our relationship with mankind. Let's look then at the passage one more time. Begin verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No. Not at all. For we have always charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp or snakes 
is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And in their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not found or not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Six times in this short passage it says, it uses the word none or not even one to relate our absolute lack of righteousness. We must look in verses 10 through 12 where we see the effects of sin on our relationship with God. Again, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. We see first that our hearts are affected by sin. It says no one is righteous. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful, above all things, and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In Titus 3, 3, talking about believers, says, At one time, we too were foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasure. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. It's not a very nice looking picture of man, is it? Disobedient, foolish, deceived, enslaved. Envy, hate, being hated. I remember as a teenager, and when I was in college, I'd go to sleep, and I'd go to bed, and try to go to sleep. And God would be dealing with me with my sin. I was scared to go to sleep because I was afraid I might die and go to hell. And, and that didn't happen just once or twice. You see, I knew there was a God. And I knew that Christ died for my sins. But as an unsaved person, as an unregenerate person, I like my lifestyle. I like my sinful life. I enjoyed it. After I, I trusted Christ, I went to Bible college and met my wife, Chris. I don't know how wise it was. I took her to the Delta Chi fraternity, which was the fraternity university I went to. They had a big formal ball in Birmingham, close to the university, close to the Bible college where I went. Guys, my friends that I've seen in two or three years, they began telling Chris all these stories, all these escapades about me and my life before Christ. Now, mind you, they were discreet. They could have told a lot more stories. But they didn't. Thank God. But even... In the stories that they told, you know, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. See, my heart was unrighteous. And all of us who don't have Jesus Christ have hearts that are unrighteous. Well, suckling in this passage, we see that sin affects our minds. It says that no one understands. We're spiritually ignorant. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says that the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. 
for their folly to him. And he is not able to understand. Ephesians 4 says that the non-believers' light of, uh, mind is darkened in their understanding. And this is a hard one for us, guys. Romans 8, 7 says, The sinful mind is hostile to God. The sinful mind is hostile to God. Now, when I first read that, I thought, Now, God, I don't think I was hostile to you. If we're honest with ourselves, we always choose sin over God. We always do. And when confronted with the gospel, even in a very winsome way, we resist the gospel. We're deceived. Recently, I think Monday night, in our small group, Mosaic, we're praying, and the issue of Haiti came up. And one of the guys there mentioned the fact that that in, in Haiti, with the voodoo followers, there's been a tension and between the evangelicals and, and the witch doctors. And this individual mentioned that the followers of voodoo celebrate Good Friday. But you see, they're deceived. They think that it all ended on Friday. Christ died. Of course, they don't celebrate Resurrection Day. And we say, boy, are they deceived. And they are. And there are countries and cultures that are tremendously deceived. But we can look here in America today and we can go down south to Alabama and to the Bible Belt and we find that people are deceived because they go to church and they are an American and therefore they're Christian. We can go to the Middle East and see people who are deceived by Islam or go to India and be deceived by people who believe, who, who, who believe that there are many gods, thousands of gods. We've seen that sin affects our hearts, our minds, it affects our wills also. And in verses 11b and 12, we read, No one seeks God. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside, and together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. We see first in this description of man, we see that we're rebellious. Our will is rebellious. Jesus, uh, not Jesus, in the Old Testament, Jeremiah says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all my heart, with all your heart. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. See, if we really want to find Christ, we'll find him. But we're rebellious. Secondly, it says that our will is wayward. It literally means leaning in the wrong direction. It's kind of like you can think of putting a, a ladder up and it's leaning in the wrong direction. It's not where it needs to be. That's, that's the way our wills are. We're spiritually useless, it says. And the word useless here, or worthless, is used of milk. Milk that's rotten. Milk that is spoiled. It can't be used to drink. It can't be used to make butter. It can't be used to make cheese. It's worthless. And God says that our will, spiritually, is useless. 
I think we can have a, a, a lesson here in, in biology or whatever. We know that there are animals that eat only meat. And they're called carnivorous, right? And then there are those that eat only grass and plants. Now imagine, you would, place a bale of hay by in front of a lion, or put a bucket of oats in front of a lion. Do you think that this hungry lion will start munching on the, the hay or the oats? Won't do it, will he? And maybe if you could ask him, why? No, physically, he could munch on a pal of hay. He could, physically. But if you ask him, why? He would say to us, if he could, I can't eat this food. I hate it. I want to eat meat. You see, the lion is physically able, but he doesn't want to eat it. I used to get past a wing of our town about eating grits. Growing up in Alabama, we ate grits for breakfast. Pastor Wayne hated the looks of grits. And I loved them. He made the other year of On the other hand, here I am, a farm boy, raised in Alabama, meat and potatoes guy. I married a Cajun from Louisiana who loves seafood. I go there, we're going to have shrimp, we're going to have crawfish, and then find it, crab, lobster, whatever. Can I be honest with you? I hate it. The smell of it makes me sick. I don't want it. I don't want it. I can eat it. I've eaten it and gotten sick. That's the way we are. Psalm 34, 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. And Christ said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. Why won't a sinner taste and see that?